Gentlemen, bienvenue and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Cats. The greatest magicians have something to learn from Mr. Mistopheles' conjuring turn. And we all say, oh well, I never was there ever. A cat so clever as magical Mr. Mistopheles. He is quiet, he is small, he is black. From the ears to the tip of his tail, he can creep through the tiniest crack. He can walk on the narrowest rail. He can pick any card from the pack. He is equally cunning with dice. He's always deceiving you into believing that he's only hunting for mice. He can play any trick with a cork. Or a spoon and a bit of fish paste And if you look for a knife or a fork And you think it is merely misplaced You have seen it one moment, then it is gone You find it next week lying out on the lawn And we all say Oh But first, how are we doing? I hope this episode finds you well. I am here with Patty and Benny. We have Patty and Benny in the booth this week. Thank you, as always, Patty and Benny, for showing up. (laughs) Showing up! Doing the work! Yes! We have a lot to cover here in the opening segment. It shouldn't take us too, too long, but we have various bits of ephemera, flora, and fauna that I do want to address. The number one being, you know, I considered doing the intro to this week's episode, our standard script, our classic script intro. I considered doing all of that in the form of meows. I was going to meow throughout the whole thing, meow, 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 to the musical man. And I'm glad that we talked about that, Patty and Betty. (laughs) I came in red hot. I thought the idea was going to be iconic. Oh, how the people will be talking when we roll out this idea of mine. And Patty and Benny wisely sort of sat me down, allowed me to process what this idea actually meant, and it didn't seem to be as worthwhile as I initially thought. So thank you for talking me off of that ledge, Patty and Benny. Number two, I have some bonus thoughts on hair. It's a show fact is what it is. That's what it is. That would be the fact that Diane Keaton, yes, that Diane Keaton is in the original cast of Hair. It took me less than 10 seconds to confirm. I could have done that the week we were actually talking about it, but now I know, and now you know. I'm sure you probably already knew already. (laughs) And the other, this is the actual observation I have. The first thing was really a show fact. This is the observation. I enjoy the phrase Mystic Crystal Revelation from the song Aquarius. Mystic Crystal Revelation. I like that. I like the mystic leading into the crystal. Mystic Crystal. I like that a lot. I want to announce a new member of the Cream Pie Cutie Club. That's right. We have a brand new Cream Pie Cutie, and his name is Matt Manuel, or Matt Manuel? I'm not quite sure on that pronunciation. I apologize, as always. Matt Manuel was in the touring production of Motown, I believe, and is now going to be in the Broadway cast of Ain't Too Proud. Congratulations, Matt, and congratulations for being a creep pie cutie. 
And finally, I just want to talk about the fact that, you know, during our hair episode, I just want to bring up the hair episode again. It's just interesting to me that while, you know, taking my notes on hair, I decided to make some jokes about cats. And then at the end of that episode, the musical carousel dropped us off at Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cats. That was a very strange coincidence, and I don't think I really sort of meditated on that, really gave that the consideration and attention that was due. I just want to assure people that when we get on the musical carousel, which again, for those of you who may be uh, not entirely clear on this, the musical carousel is a random number generator. I use, I mean, it's of course an actual real carousel with horses that zips us through time and space, but at the heart of the mechanics of the carousel is a random number generator that I pull from Google. It's a very simple little widget. It zips us all over time and space. There are 257 shows at this point that have been nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical, and the random number generator can take us anywhere, and I just find that to be very funny that we wound up on Cats. I just want people to know that this isn't a bed like, oh, we're going to a random show. Oh, perhaps we should land on Cats. Oh, wouldn't that be fun? How random. No, there's no subterfuge here, okay? It is truly random where we go each and every week. It's just that sometimes the carousel has bigger plans, all right? Sometimes the carousel is indifferent to us. It doesn't care where we end up, which is why we often end up at shows we've already talked about, and I have to sort of bang on the door of the musical carousel and say, hey, hey, take us to another show, carousel. Take us to another show. And then sometimes it actually does seem to have fun with us. It seems to have fun dropping us off at key shows that really expand on the conversations that we're already having. I've already been rambling way too much. Patty and Benny, you got to talk me off this ledge, this opening segment ledge. Let's dive from the ledge. Whee! Into the show facts. Show me the show facts regarding cats. Our subject was inspired by T.S. Eliot's Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats, a collection of poems written for Eliot's godchildren and published in 1939. Composers Alan Rosthorne and Humphrey Searle were the first to set Eliot's work to music in the mid-1950s, though in both instances their compositions served to underscore a recitation of the poetry. In other words, there was no singing. Flash forward to the late 1970s when Andrew Lloyd Webber hit upon the idea to turn Eliot's poems into proper songs. It was merely an exercise at first, an attempt to find music with an established text, as opposed to working with a lyricist to generate new material. The songs were first performed in private for a group of friends, but when a BBC telecast of Webber's Tell Me on a Sunday found success, Webber began to wonder if this new project could also work for television. Well, that never happened. Instead, the show premiered as a three-person song cycle at the 1980 Sydmonton Festival under the title Practical Cats. T.S. Eliot's widow, Valerie, attended the performance and provided a wealth of unpublished material that could potentially serve the production. Grizabella the Glamour Cat, a poem left out of the published collection for being too sad for children, proved to be the catalyst for Weber's ultimate creation. 
Station. Cats officially premiered at the West End's New London Theater on May 11, 1981. It ran for 8,949 performances before closing on its 21st anniversary in 2002. Demand was so high for this final performance that a live broadcast was arranged at Covent Garden for those who couldn't secure tickets. The people had to see those cats one last time. We'll get a lot more general trivia in a bit, but for now, let's talk about the Broadway production, which premiered... Oh, I'm sorry, it was the 1983 winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on October 7th, 1982 at the Winter Garden Theater and ran for 7,485 performances. It is currently the fourth longest-running Broadway show in history, nestled snugly between The Lion King at number three, 9,275, and Wicked at number five, 6,800. And nine. Alpha buzz coming for you, cats. Watch out, cats. You got a wicked witch nipping at your butts, you fuzzy butts. We do not have a credited book writer. Instead, T.S. Eliot is credited as the lyricist. Lyrics by T.S. Eliot, with additional lyrics by Trevor Nunn and Richard Stilgo. The music was written by Andrew Lloyd Webber. The director was Trevor Nunn. The musical director was Renee Weigert. The choreographer was Jillian Lynn. Scenic design, John Napier. Lighting design, David Hersey. Sound design, Martin Levan. And costume design, John Napier. The original Broadway cast included Kenneth Ard, Ben Buckley, Renee Sabalos, Renee Clemente, Wendy Edmead, Stephen Geffer, Harry Groner or Grainer? I feel like we've had this problem before. Harry, I apologize. Stephen Hannon, Robert Hoshur, Janet L. Hubert, Reed Jones, Whitney Kershaw, Donna King, Christine Langer, Terrence V. Mann, Anna McNeely, Hector Jamie Mercado, Cynthia Onrubia, Ken Page, Timothy Scott, Herman W. Sebeck, and Bonnie Simmons. Tony Nods, the musical cats, the original Broadway production of the musical Cats. One, best musical, of course, we've already established that, but it also won best book of a musical, T.S. Eliot. Best original score, Andrew Lloyd Webber and T.S. Eliot. Best featured actress in a musical, Betty Buckley. Best costume design, John Napier. Best lighting design, David Hersey. And best direction of a musical, Trevor Nunn. It was additionally nominated for best featured actor in a musical, Harry Groner. Grainer? Best featured actor in a musical, Stephen Hannon. Best scenic design, John Napier and Best Choreography, Jillian Lynn. So, 11 nominations, 7 awards at the end of the day. And now, back to the trivia. Do you like t-shirts? Let's talk about t-shirts. The official Cats t-shirt, which bears the show's iconic pair of yellow eyes, was the second best-selling shirt in the world throughout the 1980s. What was number one? That would be the Hard Rock Cafe shirt. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is all according to the New York Post, and I have no idea where they're getting their information. But we, we, we can trust the New York Post, right? Right? Okay, uh, sure. Here's a hard number for you. In 2012, the worldwide gross of cats as a brand was $3.5 billion. That's a hell of a lot of whiskers cat food. Meow, meow. I want to make sure we talk about the original Tokyo production of Cats because it truly is a phenomenon unto itself. It opened in 1983, has logged over 10,000 performances, and is still running to this day at its own specially built venue. One of the show's cast members, Yoshiko Hattori, played Jenny Anydots for an astounding 
20 years. By the way, that Cats venue, which is appropriately known as the Cats Theater, is owned by the Shiki Theater Company. They own and operate nine venues throughout Japan, and their current slate of musicals is as follows. Cats, of course, but also The Lion King, Aladdin, An American in Paris, The Little Mermaid, and The Hunchback of Notre Dame. They have 800 people on their staff and stage around 2,800 performances a year. I just want us all to be aware of the theatrical juggernaut that is the Shiki Theater theater company. Do I have more to say about the Cats Theater in Tokyo? Yes, I do. First, it's maybe the biggest theatrical venue I've ever seen. It has 1,200 seats. Second, it's genuinely ugly. It's a malformed hexagon. It's like someone put together a prototype out of milk cartons and then walked away. Third, they have a rule of etiquette I simply must tell you about. Quote, Do not lean forward during the performance. Leaning forward in your seat obstructs the view behind you. Please sit up straight with your back against the seat during the performance. Quote, Why are we not telling people this in America? I lean forward all the time and I'm never going to do it again. I'm not done talking about Tokyo, by the way. I simply want to say that the Rinkai train line utilizes two melodies from Cats to announce departures at its Oimachi station. And I apologize, I'm sure that I'm mispronouncing these Japanese names, and I, I, I just, uh, that embarrasses me every time I do that. And I'm trying my best, I swear. So Memory, which is used by the train heading toward the Osaki station, and Skimbleshanks the Railway Cat is used by the train heading to Shinkiba station. I find that to be quite charming. I had a major eureka moment while watching a commercial for the Tokyo production. The sudden realization that if any country was destined to have a successful relationship with cats, it was probably going to be Japan. And I'm speaking very generally here, but I find this to be quite interesting. I like to turn this around in my head, so indulge me. I don't quite know how to put it into words, but Japan's willingness, again, I'm speaking very generally, Japan's willingness to embrace the brazenly weird when it comes to pop culture seems to pair well with this piece. Perhaps it's the fact that the Tokyo costume designs stand apart from those you would see anywhere else. They're not drastically different, just a tad more surreal and outsized, like plush animals or cartoon characters from an old TV show that have sprung to life. They don't read as human-cat hybrids, is the point, and that goes a long way toward eliminating the uncanny valley element I think so many theatergoers find off-putting. Of course, there are millions of people who love that creepy, pseudo-sexual, human-feline vibe. My theory is that British and Western audiences like to keep one foot in reality and the other in fantasy, because while cats can claim to be for all ages, adults are paying for the tickets, after all, and they want to be engaged as adults, patrons of the theater. Humans dressed up as cats, okay, but this better not be for babies. I paid for Broadway, not a silly theme park attraction. Don't make the cat Cats too cat-like, you know, make them look sorta artsy, make them sexy. If I get a boner, that's my problem. Pandering to this supposedly adult sensibility is what makes cats feel like a disquieting fever dream. If you fully lean into the goofy, innocent spirit of the piece, Cats becomes what it should be, what it was always meant to be, namely, a musical fantasia for children.
children. It's okay to be an adult and enjoy a show that explores childlike whimsy. That's not embarrassing or simple-minded. My instinct is that Tokyo understood this from the get-go and their audiences are better off for it. Plus, the Tokyo production has its own original cat. His name is Gilbert. What more is there to say? Tokyo figured it out! P.S. There is an edition of Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats that features illustrations by Edward Gorey, and I would kill to see a production of Cats that embraces his style. Who doesn't love Edward Gorey? Everyone loves Edward Gorey. It's a fact. When it comes to discussing the plot of Cats, I thought it would be fun to bring in someone who knows what happened because they actually lived through it. He's an expert of the highest degree, in my opinion, and so without Without further ado, please put your paws together for Smellicus the Cat. Oh, hi, yes, hello, my name is Smellicus the Cat, hello, thank you, otherwise known as the Cat of the Trash Pile, yes, that's right. I'm a tabby cat, okay, my fur is sort of gray, but mostly green, and I always have the skeleton of a fish hanging from one of my lower teeth. I also smell. Thank you for having me on the show, Jonathan Patty, Benny, it is truly an honor. And yes, it's true, it's true. I was there on the night of Jellicoe Ball 1935. That's the ball T.S. Eliot documented via all of his lovely poems. Didn't know that, did ya? Huh? You won't find the mention of Smellicus in those poems, I'm sorry to say, but don't feel bad for Smellicus. I'm used to being left out. I've attended every Jellicoe Ball for the last 100 years or so, and you, as you can plainly see, I would say. I have never been selected as the Jellicle choice. But listen to me talking of Jellicle balls and the Jellicle choices and whatnot. Perhaps you're not aware of such things. Okay, here's the long hair and the short hair of it. Every year, us Jellicle cats gather under the light of a Jellicle moon to host what is known as the Jellicle ball. It's a feline salon, if you will, a feline summit, a festival of all things fine and feline. We share stories, we do our little dances. It's all in good fun. And at the end of the evening, our leader, Old Deuteronomy, chooses one of us to go up, up, up to the heavy side, Leia. This is what's known as the Jellicle Choice. So basically, we die and take a trip to heaven. But it's a round trip to heaven, you see. Because before you can say, lick my whiskers, we're reborn in the form of a brand new cat. To review, the Jellicle Cats gather under the Jellicle Moon, host the Jellicle Ball, and see who shall be the subject of the Jellicle choice. Jellicle, Jellicle, Jellicle. Got it? Oh, and, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For your edification, don't want to forget about this. The term Jellicle cat, that has a pretty broad definition. Most Jellicle cats would disagree with this assertion of mine, but that's only because they want to feel like they're members of an exclusive club. Don't get it twisted. If you're a cat, you're probably a Jellicle cat. Do you have four paws? Can you see in the dark? Congrats! You're in. Please deposit all hairballs in the corner where we allow Smellicus to sit. So what happened during the Jellicle Ball of 1935? Eh, to be honest, nothing too crazy. Pretty standard Jellicle Ball, all things considered. When we noticed T.S. Eliot hanging out on the fringes, we were like, well, well, we might as well tell this human about how we all have three names. Were you aware of the fact that all cats have three names? It's true! You got yourself the name that humans call you, that's your first name. You got yourself a second name, which is usually a bit more particular, kind of like a nickname, I suppose. And then there's your third name, which we ain't 
never supposed to reveal. It's a secret. Smellicus is technically my second name, and while I obviously cannot tell you my third name, I can tell you my first is get the fuck out of here, cat. You smell like piss and pepperoni. Humans are always saying that to me. So, yeah, eventually old Deuteronomy, who's kind of like the father of Christmas of cats, shows up and everyone starts introducing themselves to him. You know, jockeying for his favor so they can go up, up, up to the heavyside layer. Some cats do their own intros, but a lot of them pay old Monkastrap to be their promoter. Monkastrap is like the, uh, the oh, uh, the, the Michael Buffer of cats. Yeah, he'll, he'll come out and be like, ladies and the gentlemen, here's Jenny Any Dots, here's Mungo Jerry and Rumpledator. You get the drill. He's a pretty good hype cat, not gonna lie. Maybe I should just tell you who all was uh, competing that year. Okay, so uh, here we go. You had Gus, the theater cat, who was kind of like the Lawrence Olivier of cats. Buster for Jones, who was kind of like the British Guy Fieri of cats. Rum Tum Tugga, okay, obviously, he was kind of like the David Bowie of cats. And Skimbleshanks, the railway cat, who was kind of like the Stephen Colbert of cats, if Stephen Colbert was really into trains. I want to say he's into trains. A am I assuming wrong there? Let's assume that comparison tracks. And then you got Mr. Mistopheles, who was like the David Copperfield of cats, Mungo, Jerry, and Rumpelteaser, who I mentioned earlier. They were like the uh, Bonnie and Clyde of cats, and McCavity, who was like the Al Capone of cats. Uh, ooh, McCavity, what a piece of work. Uh, you know, one time he kicked me like a football, and I landed right in the lap of the Queen of England. She thought I was a hornet's nest. She screamed, oh, it was a whole thing. There were a lot of other cats there, of course. Bomb, Ballerina, Demeter, Jelly Lorm, Victoria, all second-tier Jellicle cats, if you ask me. And then you had your third-tier cats. Those would be Plato, Alonzo, Bill Bailey, Tumble Brutus, Carbocity, Pounceville, Cassandra, and Coricopat and Tantamil. Coricopat and Tantamil were like, uh, how do I even begin to describe this? They were twins, first of all, but they had psychic powers. They were always talking about how they had psychic powers. Don't even get me started. And we round it all out with Electra and etc. Me? I'm kind of like a fourth-tier, fifth-tier cat, if that. Uh, don't feel bad for me. Come on, I don't feel bad for me. Anyway, as I said, pretty standard Jellicle Ball, if you ask me. Some of the cats put on a little play about dogs for old Deuteronomy. Gus talked about his time in the theater, and he started getting real racist. Oh, boy. I'm not one of those cats who hides behind the phrase, it was a different time. But what can I say? I mean, this was the 1930s. A lot of us cats didn't know no better. Most of us know better now. I'm happy to report if there's anything that can be said about a Jellicle cat, it's that they are always willing to listen and learn. Let's see. What what else? What else we got here? Oh, well, of course, uh, old Deuteronomy got kidnapped by McCavity, but that happens every year. Mr. Mistopheles just brings him back using some of his magics. Poof! Problem solved! Stakes lowered! And then, lo and behold, Grizabella the Glamour Cat is chosen to go up to the Heaviside Lair. Oh, I'm sorry. Up, up, up to the Heaviside Lair. Uh, did I not mention Grizabella before? Oh, my apologies. Uh, Grizabella was this grungy, mangy cat who nobody really liked, but then she sang a song that was real sad and real loud, so I guess Deuteronomy figured it was her time. Wanna hear my song? I got a song for you, okay? It goes a little something like this. My name is Smellicus, and I got trash coming out of both ends. Come on, come on, can we not be friends? 
I know it's a bad song, but I can't afford to hire Monkastrap. Eh, that's about all I can say, really. Now, if you'll excuse me, I, I gotta get ready for Jellicle Ball 2020, okay? We got all kinds of nice cats coming to this Jellicle Ball. We got Mocha Chino, Tiddlywinks, Lady Goo Goo, Snippity Dumbo Drop, Vitamin C, the C stands for cat, Froyo, Juju B, Verisimilitude, Wee Willy Kinky, uh, right? Yeah, okay, sure. Uh, then we also got Billy Dunk, Nice Nice, Pigskin, the cat that's actually a football, Nuts and Bolts, the mechanical cats, Judy, Peter, Michelob Ultra, all kinds of fun cats. Okay, thanks for having me, Jonathan, Patty, Benny. Thank you, sorry for being so smelly. And remember, if you see old Smellicus rooting around in your trash can, trying Try not to throw a hammer directly at his skull, will ya? I've got enough troubles as it is. Wow, meow, meow. Okay, gotta go. Bye. Thank you, Smellicus. Thank you. Bye bye. He doesn't smell that bad, I don't think. For the purposes of this week's episode, I listened to the 1982 original Broadway cast album. I did not listen to the London album that precedes it. Sue me! I've often wondered why the 2014 London revival that transferred to Broadway in 2016 never got its own cast album. It seems like an enormous missed opportunity in terms of revenue, right? You'd think Andrew Lloyd Webber would have wanted to record the changes he made to the show for the sake of posterity and also fan curiosity. Do we not live in a capitalist society? Do we not love money? I also watched the Tony Awards performance of Jellicle Songs for Jellicle Cats and Memory, which I I'm not convinced took place in front of a live audience, but was rather recorded in advance at the Winter Garden Theater. That theory seems sound to me. What did I think of the performance? Well, it was certainly Cats. You can't say it wasn't Cats. What if the Cats had presented a scene from Buried Child during the Tony Awards? I would pay upwards of $200 to see the Cats of Cats stage Buried Child. I have seen the direct-to-video film version of Cats that was directed by David Mallett and released released in 1998, and you can rest easy knowing I considered watching it again. <laughs> but I know my limits when it comes to cats, and I have to respect those limits. Sometimes you look at an object and you think, I know that object. I've picked it up. I've held it in my hands. I am familiar with its weight and substance. I do not need to pick up that object again. I've also seen the 2019 Tom Hooper film adaptation, which has made $73 million worldwide and should not be confused with cats the 2018 animated film starring Dermot Mulroney that has only made $20.5 million worldwide. But if you want to hear my thoughts on that movie, you'll have to become a $1 a month patron. It's true, I don't make the rules. Well, I do. But <laughs> I will say this much, the movie makes the stage version look positively restrained quaint and respectable. Again, if you want to know more, go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod. Let's talk about the score. Patty Benny, give me that overture. Meow meow. <laughs>
second of the Cats Overture is a second spent moving further and further from the reality you once knew. Gravity doesn't exist within the Cats Overture. The basic rules of time and space do not apply. You spin toward the ragged, velveteen edges of the universe, and you can't tell if the experience is more like vertigo or hypnosis. Instead of crying out in fear, you simply say, well, this is it, I've lost my mind, and you know what? It's not as bad as I would have thought. The Cat's Overture may not be entirely pleasing to the ear, but it's not interested in pleasing you, it's interested in transporting you. Transforming you into someone who's receptive to the Jellicle Call. I, for one, unironically enjoy how fucking weird and alienating this overture is from Note 1. I am very much a cat person as well as a dog person. I contain multitudes, and I appreciate how this piece evokes the hubristic, doofy, and altogether bonkers spirit of the average feline. They are little creatures from another planet, and I love how we will never truly understand them. This goes a long way toward explaining why Cats was and is so popular. People love cats, they want to know what's going on in their heads, and this ridiculous musical makes theorizing fun. Ah, fun in small doses, at least. Jellicle Songs for Jellicle Cats Prologue. It's a bottomless bag of cotton candy that leaves me feeling jittery and dopey. Hook it up to my face like it's a bag of feed up against a horse's n- snout. <laughs> om nom nom. That's me. My only complaint is how the number slows to a crawl so the cats can crank out an aria. Some sort of quiet... It's not really an aria. It's just this choral section that's really slow and boring. No thanks. If I want to hear a stuffy choir, I'll go to church and confess my sins. Okay? Don't push me away with your fussy, fuzzy proselytizing. Let me stay and listen to more of this Jellicle gobbledygook. Uh, Jellicle cats and Jellicle cats. For the record, I'm a practical, dramatical, pragmatical, skeptical, romantical, pedantical, critical, political, hypocritical, hysterical, cynical cat. And my Jellicle name, for those who may have forgotten, is Melpomene Persnickety. Melpomene comes from listener Allison, and Persnickety comes directly from the official Twitter profile for Tom Hooper's cat.
nuts, I ain't lying. Cats is not fucking around. It brought you in with a positively mind-melting overture and flattered your senses with a cheery, cheesy opening number, but now it's time to swallow the Kool-Aid or get the fuck out. Can you survive the endurance test that is the naming of cats? It won't be easy. This shit is laborious, creepy, expositive to a fault, and steeped in mythology no one could possibly care about. If you're into it, you're probably going to be a diehard Cats fan for the rest of your life, but if you're like me, you're counting the exits. Can you imagine what a pain in the ass this must be to learn as a performer. My college staged cats my senior year, and I feel bad for everyone who was involved. Newsflash, I never saw the final production. My apologies, fellow classmates. She sits and sits and sits and sits, and that's what makes a Gumby cat. That's what makes a Gumby cat. But when the day A troop of a disciplined, helpful boy scouts With a purpose in life and a good deed to do And she's even created a Beatles is at its best when it allows itself to be nothing more than bouncy and foolish. Up-tempo numbers like the old Gumby Cat, which serves as a showcase for Jenny Anydots, may have the artistic value of a Vegas floor show, but give me casino glitz over self-serious lullabies and musicalized lectures any day of the week. On another note, is it just me, or does Harry Groner Greener sound a bit like Chip Zine, Zine? As Monkestrap. <laughs> <laughs> Mongo strap? I keep expecting him to shout, Meow more questions, please. You know who's great? Chip sign.
If you offer me pheasant, I'd rather have grouse. If you put me in a house, I would much prefer a flat. If you put me in a flat, then I'd rather have a house. If you set me on a mouse, then I only want a rat. If you set me on a rat, then I'd rather chase a mouse. And there isn't any need for me to shout it. For he will do as he did do. And there's no doing anything about it. Then I wanna go out I'm always on the wrong side of every door As soon as I'm at home Then I like to get about I like to lie in the bureau drawer But I make such a fuss if I can't get out And there isn't any need for you to doubt it Anything about it. it may sound a bit basic to say Rum Tum Tugger is my favorite character, but what can I say? He's a cool, charming little ass hat. He's an asshole! He's so cool, in fact, that this number was filmed for the purposes of an Honest to God music video, which at the time had never been done to promote a Broadway show. Unfortunately, that version of the song omits my favorite line, which is, of course, the Rum Tum Tugger is a terrible bore! I enjoy the shade of it all, what can I say? P.S. Terrence V. Man as Rum Tum can fucking Rum Tum get it! Meow indeed! For the purposes of the 2014 London revival, Andrew Lloyd Webber chose to turn the Rum Tum Tugger into a hip-hop routine, transforming the character from a Bowie McJagger type into a breakdancing kid who raps. The results were, shall we say, middling at best. Can we get a clip of that? the big pile of tiny changes that get under my skin. This is Rum Tum's time to shine, so why is Rum Tum not singing? Did we need to cut the fun elongated about-wow-wow-wow-outs? And the air horns, oh, the, oh, god, the air horns. Meow, 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 meow. Don't worry, baby, I'm a slug. Oh, no. 
Here are a few choice YouTube comments from people who seem to be less irritated by the fact that this is a bad rap and more because it's rap, period. Here's one quote for you. Um, I came for Elvis, not Kanye. That's K-O-N-Y-A-E. Uh, to that person, I would say, you don't actually deserve anything. Here's another comment for you. Why must the this generation ruin things that are good? Once again, why must the this generation ruin things that are good? Why must the this generation ruin things that are good? Who does this person think is in charge, exactly? Here's another one. This version just sounds like something you'd hear on a kid's television show. Like Teletubby status. Corny instead of cool. Cats has never been cool. What are you talking about? Oh, cats used to be so cool back in the day. What now? Shut your mouth. Here's another comment. The whole important characteristic of the Rum Tum Tugger is that he's attractive and a charmer, like popular rock stars from the 70s and 80s, such as Elvis Presley, Prince, Mick Jagger, and David Bowie. Rappers don't tend to have that charm like those rock stars do, so it feels that an important part of the musical is missing. Interesting. Okay, so the whole important characteristic of the Rum Tum Tugger is that he's attractive, and a charmer, and this person does not feel rappers have charm, and I assume that they are also not attractive like rock stars. Rock stars like Elvis Presley, Prince, Mick Jagger, and David Bowie. Okay, Boomer. Nice try throwing in Prince, by the way. Trying to make yourself seem a smidge progressive. I'll throw Prince in there. I'll throw Prince in there. That'll make it, that'll make everything cool. I'll put up blinders. Everybody will be disoriented. Prince, oh, he can't possibly be racist. It's a he, by the way. Here's another comment. For you. I guess this means I'm never seeing cats again. I can't stand this. Oh God, what will they do without your continued patronage? And one final comment from this YouTube upload. I am disgusted. This is Cats, not Hamilton. Disgusted, they say. Disgusted by the rap. Interesting. It's just interesting how buttons get pushed with certain people. Oh, rap! Oh, prepare for something ugly to come out of me. I'm gonna reveal myself. I'm sure you are stupid, you stupid fuck. best holy instrumental piece from Andrew Lloyd Webber's score. There's no doubt about it. You can take Victoria's ballet routine and stuff it up your fuzzy bum because the Jellicle Ball is where it's at, baby. It's one of the few moments in the show where the orchestra is allowed to sound well, real. It's not entirely canned and computerized for once. We can actually recognize, for example, a funky bass line and other authentic, truly live instruments. Not that I'm anti-keyboard or anything. God knows I can get behind a corny-ass keyboard in the right setting. But there's a reason my ears perked up upon hearing that funky bass line. It brought variation to what was an aggressively single-minded, tinny score, and the ear appreciates variation. The audience cannot survive on keyboard. 
keyboard alone, Andrew. I almost hesitate to say it because to draw a connection between these two shows seems sacrilegious, but I do pick up on Shades of a Chorus line while listening to the Jellico Ball track. Listen to it again. Tell me I'm wrong. I can just see the cast of a chorus line warming up at the beginning of that production. <laughs> <laughs> to the instrumental Jellicle Ball track. I think that would be, I want to see that. Can someone make that video? <laughs> Show that to me. Show it to me, please. I have played in my time every possible part and I used to know 70 speeches by heart. I'd extemporize back chat. I knew how to gag, and I knew how to let the cat out of the bag. I knew how to act with my back and my tail. With an hour of rehearsal, I never could fail. I'd a voice that would soften the hardest of hearts Whether I took the lead or in character parts I have sat by the bedside of poor little Nell When the curfew was rung, then I swung on the bell <laughs> In the pantomime season, I never fell flat, and I once understudied Dick Whittington's cat. But my grandest creation, as history will tell, was fire for a fiddle, the fiend of the fell. believes I could play Rum Tum Tugger in a production of Cats, but I know in my heart I'm destined to play Gus someday. Gus is unapologetically snooty, thinks quite highly of himself, and spends a great deal of time reflecting on the past. He's also frail, neurotic, insecure, and quite obviously afraid of obscurity and death qualities I possess and can tap into at a moment's notice. Gus wants to be loved. I want to be loved. It's a match made in the heaviside layer. As always, our phone lines here are open, and as a reminder, I am all offer only, okay? No auditions, okay? No auditions! The quiet reflection we get from Gus is more appealing and rewarding than that of Grizabella, a similarly aged character who speaks to the highs and lows of her own life, her existence. When Grizabella sings, all I hear is splintered, melodramatic rambling, a one-note call for pity and understanding that rouses exactly nothing within me. Gus is more of an open book. He's plain-spoken and funny and, in general, has access to a greater number of emotions. I guess what I'm trying to say is that Weber and his collaborators did a better job writing for a male character than a female character, and who among us can claim to be shocked by that? To review, I'm very much a fan of the Gus the Theater Cat number. I am not a fan of what it originally led into, a play within a play that stars a young Gus and is known as Growl Tiger's Last Stand. Ugh. Growl Tiger's Last Stand sucks so hard. It's impenetrable. An arduous slog. 
vlog that at 11 minutes and 41 seconds feels like the longest track in cast album history. It's also racist in a way that is so brazen and appalling, it arrives like a slap to the face. I refuse to play any audio from this track, but in case you're not familiar, a number of cast members are made to adopt Siamese accents, and at one point they use a racial slur that would have been widely accepted as horrific even in the 1980s. By that point, we understood... We understood what that word carried, that we understood the weight of it. Maybe the slur was in T.S. Eliot's original poem. I'm sure it is, but so what? We don't invite racial slurs into our family-friendly entertainments. Those words should only survive so we can point to them and condemn them. No one stages Growl Tiger's Last Stand anymore, and I'm grateful for that. But do current productions replace it with another sequence, another play within a play? I certainly hope not. Cats cannot afford to gaze even further into its own navel or up its own fuzzy ass. And putting on a play within a play is an indulgence we should not allow. Guards and all the porters and the station master's daughters would be searching high and low, saying, Skimble, where is Skimble? For unless he's very nimble, then the night mail just can't go. At 11.42, with the signal overdue, and the passengers all frantic to a man, that's when I would appear and I'd saunter to the rear. I'd been busy in the luggage van. For the northern part of the northern hemisphere. I'll say this for Skimble Shanks, dude's got a theme that slaps. I'm not the first to point it out, and I certainly won't be the last. Don't ask me what the fuck he's talking about in any of the verses. The verses are merely an opportunity for me to catch my breath before jumping back into that chorus. Skimble's over here tugging on my dick, making me bleed out those high notes, making me beg for mercy. I'm like, Skimble, baby, I can't go on like this. Give me a second to recover. Go talk about tea trays and changing the linens or some shit. Talk about that time you spit in the conductor's mouth while he was asleep. I like to think Skimble Shanks serves as a connection between the world of cats and that of Starlight Express. Those shows absolutely exist within the same shared universe. You can't tell me otherwise. P.S. Do the jingle bells in this arrangement of Skimbleshanks make Skimbleshanks an unofficial Christmas song? A Christmas carol? We need to find space for it in the Christmas canon, in my opinion. My humble opinion. If my favorite things is a Christmas song, then Skimbleshanks is one as well. I have spoken!
I'm not convinced Memory is a classic or iconic musical theater song. Full stop. Millions of people may be aware of the song, they may like or even love the damn song, but you need more than visibility to count as a substantial entry in the canon. The best musical theater songs stick in the mind while making you think. Their lyrics capture the mind and stimulate the heart. The best musical theater songs manage to articulate what is hard for the average person to express. They reveal something about the human condition. Say it with me. Memory is not about anything. The lyrics are hollow, the sort of claptrap that would be rejected by any greeting card company worth its salt. And that's not a ding on T.S. Eliot because, unlike most of the songs from Cats, Memory does not directly pull from Eliot's old possum book, or whatever the hell the title of that was. Instead, director Trevor Nunn chose to freely adapt Eliot's rap on a windy night, watering it down to a point where you can't even recognize the original source. Here's a small section from Rhapsody on a Windy Night. 12 o'clock, along the reaches of the street held in a lunar synthesis, whispering lunar incantations dissolve the floors of memory and all its clear relations, its divisions and precisions. Every street lamp that I pass beats like a fatalistic drum, and through the spaces of the dark midnight shakes the memory as a madman shakes a dead geranium. And here are the opening lyrics for memory. Midnight, not a sound from the pavement. Has the moon lost her memory? She is smiling alone. In the lamplight, the withered leaves collect at my feet, and the wind begins to moan. Memory, all alone in the moonlight. I can dream of the old days. Life was beautiful then. I remember the time I knew what happiness was. Let the memory live again. Not nearly as stirring, I should think. I'd be less critical if memory was in any way interesting to listen to after all these years, but it's elevator music at this point. It has one big piercing note that everyone sort of rallies around, and it ain't enough for me. You've heard of several kinds of cat, and my opinion now is that you should need no interpreter. Understand our character. You've learned enough. Cats has a serious problem when it comes to knowing when to get gone. Act one should end with the jubilant Jellicle Ball, but chooses to peter out for the sake of Grizabella's second of three onstage appearances. Act two should end with Grizz soaring into the heavens on a giant tire. That's a money shot, if ever there was one. So why am I being made to sit through a pedantic coda about what we've learned about cats? I didn't learn anything. What is this, a TED Talk all of a damn sudden? Release me! All in due time, Jonathan, meow meow, all in due time. Give us another five to ten minutes, please, please, meow meow. Now, stop messing with me, you crazy cats. That's it for our discussion of the cat score. Yes, it's been fully deconstructed now, I should say. Every inch of it, we skipped over a lot. But we're now going to throw it over to our fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. Grace, hold on my calls. I've got to record this 5678 commercial. Ah, oh, thank you, Grace. I love you, baby. <laughs> ah, hello there. It's me, Daddy Warbucks from the musical Annie. <laughs> You'll have to excuse me. I have a gigantic cigar in my mouth. You already know about me. I'm a billionaire. I'm a tycoon. I love money. Not as much as I love my beautiful wife, Grace, my beautiful daughter, Annie, and all of her little random sisters. I love all of those kids. I love 
my wife. But here's the thing. How do you take care of your wife? How do you take care of your kids? You gotta have money, baby. And I love making money. And I love a deal, too. I love saving money when I can. And let me tell you, I was recently sitting down with FDR. That's right. I regularly have lunch with the President of the United States of America. And FDR said, oh, have you tried this 5678 coffee? And I said, what the fuck? fuck are you goddamn talking about, FDR? You big dum-dum, what is this cheap nonsense? And he says, I thought you liked to save a dollar every now and then. I thought you liked a deal. I was going to tell you about how low the price is on this coffee and how delicious it is. And I said, ah, no, that's ridiculous. It can't be delicious and cheap. It's not possible. When it comes to coffee, I know everything. I own stocks in the coffee industries throughout this entire globe of ours. I met every industry, every coffee industrial tycoon in this world. Coffee is a dirty, ugly business. It takes sweat and blood and tears. People die for coffee every day. You can't just slap a cheap price tag on coffee and if you can, it's probably garbage. And FDR said to me, would you calm down for ten goddamn seconds and take a slurp of this mud? And I drank it and I tell you right now, it was the most delicious cup of coffee I've ever had in my goddamn life. And I said, FDR, I was planning on, <laughs> I was planning on knocking you out and taking the presidency from you. I was going to punch you in the, in the jaw with my gigantic hammock fist. I was going to steal the presidency from you, but you've given me a gift, FDR. And I took that coffee home and now we all drink it. Grace, the children were all constantly happed up. Grace, Grace, get me a cup of five, six, seven, eight coffee, will you? Thank you and you're welcome. Oh, okay, I got to go. Money to make, money to save. I got to give Annie a gold tiara. She keeps saying, give me a gold tiara, Daddy Warbucks. And I'm thinking, I don't know where the fuck I'm going to get one of those. But I've got connections in the seediest of places. I can have somebody smelt a gold tiara. Who cares? Okay, I'll talk to you later. Five, six, seven, eight coffee. You can count on it, baby. Oh, wait a minute. What am I doing? I gotta count my money. One dollar, two dollar, three billion dollars. <laughs> Bryce! Final thoughts on Cats. Despite all my criticisms, I had a nice time revisiting Cats this week, but I'm convinced it would be better served as a one hour and 40 minute one act. This is Cats we're talking about. Cats does not benefit from an intermission. Don't let your audience wander away for 15 minutes only to exhaust their goodwill in the long run. Just get in and get out as fast as you can. To that end, here's what I would keep and here's what I would cut from Cats. I would keep the overture and the prologue, songs for Jellicle Cats, but I would remove that slower choir section, the choral section that starts with mystical divinity, take that out. I would cut the naming of cats, it's slow, creepy, sleepy, and boring. I would keep the invitation to the Jellicle Ball, the old Gumby Cat, the Rum Tum Tugger, and Grizabella the Glamour Cat. However, I would move that first appearance of Grizabella to just after the Jellicle Ball. I would cut Bust for Jones, it's woefully unfunny and overlong. I would also cut Mungo, Jerry, and Rumpel teaser. I'm sorry, we only have room for one criminal cat in this one act. 
I would keep old Deuteronomy and the Jellicle Ball. I would cut Grizabella the Glamour Cat slash Memory. This is technically her second appearance, and we do not need to hear Memory twice, okay? Save it for the end, okay? Just save it for the end. We don't need to hear it twice. I would also cut the Moments of Happiness. I would keep Gus the Theater Cat. I would cut Growl Tiger's Last Stand, of course, and don't replace it with any other material. Just move on. I would keep Skimble Shanks, McCavity, Mr. Mistopheles, and Memory. Ah, of course, I said, save it up. Save all that memory energy for the end of the show, and I would keep Journey to the Heaviside Lair, but I would cut the addressing of cats. Grizabella just flew away on a tire. We cannot top that. I realize Smellicus didn't go into any great detail when it comes to this one secret I'm about to mention, but the awful battle of the Peakies and the Pollicles should be cut as well. In general, I'm not a fan of Cats taking a break from itself to indulge in metatheatricality, but the cats are dressing up like dogs. It's fun. It's long. Hopefully, all of those cuts will get us to the under two-hour mark, if not exactly at an hour and 40 minutes. Think of it this way. A shorter runtime means more performances and a higher number of tickets sold. Do we not live in a capitalist society? Do we not love money? As a reminder, Cats was the 1983 winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical, and the additional nominees that year were Blues in the Night, which we have discussed in the past, Merlin, which we have discussed in the past, and My One and Only, which is the only musical from this season we have not yet discussed. And as I've said several times before, I do believe Cats is, it's deserving of the Tony Award for Best Musical. Sure, I don't think that Blues in the Night or Merlin have any real chance of beating that out, and my instinct regarding My One and Only, which is that Gershwin review that I am dreading is that it is bad. That's my <laughs> that's my very early access review of my one and only and I have not even heard a note of it. And if you think I'm being biased, well, you're right. Let's rank the show, shall we? Now, there have been a lot of changes in the ranking in this past week. I want to talk about those. I want to start at the bottom here. So Avenue Q is now at number 47. Bubbling Brown Sugar is now at 38. We have Grind now at number 35 with applause right above it at number 44. And then right above that, we have Cats at number 33. Some more changes for you. Once is at 27 now. The Mystery of Edwin Drood is at number 21. Right above that is Evita now at number 20. Natasha P. Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 is now in the 17 slot, and Guys and Dolls is at number 10, and Bring in Denoise, Bring in Defunk is at number 9. It's true. Now, if you want to get this whole rundown of this list of all the shows that we've ranked, go to our Twitter profile, Musical Man Pod, click on the pinned tweet, go to the second tab, and it's right there, baby. That's it. That's the full ranking. We have a number of show-related ephemera tidbits here, little fun audio clips that we're going to be throwing at you. The first is an interview that was taken... I have no idea what the origins of this is. It seems like a public access journalist or some sort of, I don't know, the whole thing seems really DIY and very strange. There is a man interviewing the cast of Cats. The show was canceled due to a snowstorm. It was the first time the show had ever been canceled in 13 years. And this very awkward young man that you're about to hear interviews the cats, the cast of Cats, I should say. They're not real cats, Jonathan. Oh God, I'm losing my mind. He talks to them about what they did did on their night off. So can, can we get that, Patty and Benny? Thank you. We're here with some of the cast members of Cats who got snowed in the other day. Does anybody have any snow stories? Do you? 
Well, mine's tragic. Oh. I was sick, <laughs> and my cable was out. The cable was out? Yeah, oh. so I just watched everyone out my window sledding. Well, what about you? <laughs> Mine was not tragic. I was glad to be home. <laughs> we were snowed in the house, and my daughter had off school, so we spent family time. But, of course, in the next day, it was shoveling. Shoveling? Lots of snow. <laughs> and then coming back to do cats with sore shovel muscles. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how about the two of you guys? Well, I spent most of my day riding lyrics, you know, Writing lyrics. Yeah, relaxing and enjoying the day and resting my body. Right, and, and you? Spent most of the day at the movies. What, were you dressed like this? No, of course no. not. I was a normal person. I was a civilian for once, out right. at normal times, normal hours in the evening. So the show was canceled for the first no. time? Yeah, for the first 13 time. Years. 13 years. 13 years. Yeah. But we get Kinda. to make up for it. Yeah, yeah. we get to do another one. <laughs> How are you making up? We're going to do two on Sunday. We're going yeah. to do two on Sunday, just for everyone out there. Wow, yeah. so the weather, did it kind of make your hair raise? Did you? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, great. So now we're going to get a couple of commercials. Here is one from 1985. This is a Winter Park Garden commercial. This is for the original Broadway production. So let's hear that commercial. That's the best show I ever saw. Gorgeous. Simply gorgeous. An absolutely thrilling musical. The dancing is incredible. Absolutely incredible. Unbelievable. The costumes, unbelievable. You know, it's it's really a great show. Bottom line, it's a great show. I love Cats, now and forever at the Winter Garden Theater. Call Telecharge for tickets, 212-239-6200. I love cats. I loved it more than Disneyland. Shut up. No, you didn't. Here's a commercial for, from, I should say, 1987, and it is from the Shays Buffalo Theater. Take it away. Cats, the number one musical in America. Cats, the world's most thrilling theatrical event. Cats, the magic, the mystery, the memory will live forever. Cats, the winner of seven Tony Awards, the once-in-a-lifetime experience, the most exciting family musical ever. In a word, Cats. Tickets at the Ticket Rack, Shays Box Office, all Ticket Rack outlets, or call 856-6681 or 847-0850 to charge. Cats, cats, in a word, cats! Can we get some audio regarding Madame Tussauds Broadway exhibit and their Grizabella figure? Grizabella is definitely the most advanced digitally projection figure that we've done. Uh, she's super cool, she's ultra high res, we've done all new things with this figure, so really advanced. Uh, when guests walk up and see her, they're always in awe and they're like, oh my god, is that a real person? So she's really, really lifelike. So Broadway we've been working on for about two years with really useful group Andrew Lloyd Webber's company uh, to produce an interactive immersive experience where guests can walk through and be part of the show or play their part in the show. We've used a little bit of practical sculpting technique but also new digital technology to make that figure. Uh, so the figure itself is actually made out of fiberglass, it's not a wax figure. Uh, and then the face is sculpted in a different way than we would sculpt a traditional figure. It's covered with a matte uh, silver gray metallic uh, material that's a great projection surface. So we started with 8K footage. The projector is actually an Epson Pro uh, 4K projector that's uh, operating at about 6,000 lumens. So that was all captured live with a live actor in the space. She came into the studio, she was painted in full makeup. So that's something that's a little bit different than the way we would traditionally cast a figure. Normally that starts in a clay molding process in a 
sculpting process. And the way that we actually took the content is we filmed each individual part of the face. So the lips are filmed, the eyes are filmed, the eyebrows are filmed. And then you take that into the software, which is Green Hippo, and you actually stitch each one of those facial features onto the face. So the eyes are individually stitched from the cheek, from the eyebrow, and that's what creates the best alignment for the face of the figure. This Grizabella figure is the stuff of fucking nightmares. It is so unsettling to see a, oh, it's so weird to see a face moving, but the body isn't moving at all. It's really fucking stupid. And anyone that thinks it's impressive and cool is not impressive or cool to me. Here are a pair of commercials that I'm sure you are probably well aware of, especially if you're on Twitter. A lot of people were talking about this a few months ago. There is the 1986 anti-smoking PSA. Can we get that? Someone is smoking over there. Something we cats would never do. Filling their lungs with thick, dark hair. What a disgusting thing to do. Cats have nine lives with eight to spare. Humans have one. With none to barter. Why do they smoke? Why don't they care? Humans are smart, but cats are smarter. Listen to cats, you men and women. Take care of your lungs. They're only human. The American Lung Association, the Christmas Seal people. So weird. And finally, the 1984 U.S. Department of Transportation PSA. An accident. An accident. An accident. The humans had an accident. There was a child in the car. A child. A child? A child? Cats have nine lives, children only one. Help them live that life. Buckle them into a car seat. No one wants a child to become a memory. There was a child in the car. A child, a child. Oh, a buried child. Bonus, an ad, we're not going to hear this, but there's an ad I found from the old I Love New York campaign in which Terrence Mann, whose rum tum tugger has been made up to look practically demonic, hisses, he hisses, I love New York at night. You never know who might appear. And then he makes Brooke Shields appear out of thin air so she can proclaim, I love New York. She's in a gown. It's positively demented. Since when does Rumtum possess magical abilities? I need to stop asking so many questions. Finally, as a fan of animation, I must address the film adaptation of Cats that Steven Spielberg and Amblimation tried to produce in the early 1990s. Cartoon Brew has an article on the subject that goes into great detail regarding the project's history, while providing a wealth of concept art from artists Luc Desmarchalais, Nico Marlet, and Hans Bacher. I would recommend tracking that article down, but in case you're the TLDR type, here's the scoop. Spielberg wanted to set the musical during the London Blitz of World War Two, no one could agree on how to apply a three-act structure to the narrative. That's because the show is a fucking review, dum-dums. And the box office failure of Balto effectively sealed the cartoon cat's coffin. It's a shame, as the concept art is genuinely gorgeous. I do question the London Blitz choice, as it kind of seems, you know, arbitrarily grim. Can you picture a Don Bluth cat's adaptation? Ugh, I certainly can, and I love it already. It would be demented. Oh, I should say, in regards to all of the show-related ephemera we, we've talked about today, a lot of that material came from listener Roberto, so thank you for helping me on that, Roberto. Thank you. To determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the Random Number Generator, I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, If I Ran the Zoo, I Would Eat the Penguins. Everyone ready? Then away we go. 
Okay, so full transparency. At first, the carousel pulled one of its little tricks. It dropped us off at Crazy for You, and of course, we're never going to talk about that show again. And so I took another ride on the musical carousel, and you're not going to believe this, but we just landed on another Andrew Lloyd Webber show. It was the best musical winner in 1988. It is currently running. It has logged over 13,000 performances, and that is, of course, The Phantom of the Opera. Yes, that's what we will be talking about. But that episode will not drop until Wednesday, March 11th, as our March 4th episode, next week's episode, will be dedicated to Disney's Descendants trilogy, baby. Yeah, it's true. Go to Patreon.com slash musical man pod to find out how you can support the show financially if you donate okay so you can donate one three five or ten dollars a month if you donate one dollar a month you'll get a weekly verbal shout out that's each and every week let's do that now thank you mark s rob shauna shiante roberto jordan ashley chris jc jenna aaron lily haley brandon brad matt zach and marisol you will also get access to bonus episodes that's right bonus episodes covering these subjects the 73rd annual tony awards the trailer for Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, my full review of the film Cats, and my review of Chicago Shakespeare Theater's Emma. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to figure out all of the $1 a month episodes that you have coming your way throughout the calendar year of 2020. We have so much planned for that tier. It's crazy! Now, if you donate $3 a month, not only are you getting everything I've already described, but you also get a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. You are also granted access to the ongoing series Wildcats Everywhere, the bi-weekly high school musical podcast. That's right. We talk about anything and everything high school musical, baby. $5 a month. What does that get me? Well, it gets you everything I've already mentioned. Plus, you are able to stop that musical carousel and determine what show I discuss here on the podcast. You also get access to All I Ask of You, the first season of All I Ask of You, I should say, 12 episodes. It's an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera, Speak of the Devil, and it's all about the villains of musical theater, and they're they're problems. You know, they have problems, and the Phantom helps them solve those problems. It's true. You also get access to our ongoing Broadway in Chicago series, for which I have already reviewed Oslo, Mean Girls, Once on this Island, and Summer. Our next episode, which is dropping in late March, I believe, will be about My Fair Lady. Yes, it's true. Everything that I say to you is true. $10 a month gets you everything I've already mentioned, plus access to Season 1, 12 full-length episodes of what is known as The Snow Club, baby. The Snow Club is all about musicals that were never, never nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. Those musicals are Amelie, Merrily We Roll Along, Flahooly, American Psycho, Be More Chill, Jekyll and Hyde, Allegiance, It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman, The Bridges of Madison County, A Doll's Life, Aida, and Jesus Christ Superstar. Consider giving at least a dollar a month, because if we get to a hundred dollars in total monthly donations, I will produce M3, The Movie Musical Man, a monthly series for which I will watch trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. And just so you know, all the money that is donated to the show goes toward the purchase of cast recordings that I don't already have, movie rentals, and offsetting Podbean costs. Uh, if you listen to the show through Apple Podcasts, well, thank you very much. Uh, again, I should say this. Thank you to every single person who did the work. Every single person who gave the show a five-star rating and then wrote a review to go along with that five-star rating because you are the reason why we're getting that Descendants episode next week. Technically, everyone will be allowed to listen to that episode 
but it's really just for the 30 people who wrote those reviews. So keep that in mind. If you don't want to feel guilty while listening to the Descendants episode, why don't you just go to our Apple Podcast page now and do the work, right? Then you'll be part of that special club. Give us a five-star rating. Write a review to go along with that rating. Please, I beg of you. You can stream the show at musicalmanpod.podbean.com and you can also stream through Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. I haven't gotten an email in so long. Please send me an email. I don't care what it's about. Ask me questions. Tell me what you're thinking. Tell me anything and everything, baby. Thanks. I've said baby so much. Can you tell I'm a fan of the Blank Check podcast? Thanks as always to Patty and Benny in the booth. Thank you very much. Alex Green for our beautiful logo. Thank you very much. And Zach Little for our fabulous music. Thank you very much. Oh, come on. You know what that sound means. Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well. We'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, auf Wiedersehen, and good night.